A year in a day. Solidarity dissolves uncertainty. In old tales, we often hear the phrase, a year in a day, to denote a magical, significant period of time, or a poetic way of saying that a year has passed by. Thirteen lunar months of 28 days, plus one extra day, is 365 days, a regular solar year. That is how long I will have been writing publicly here on Substack by Tuesday the 21st of November 2023. It feels far more magical to me than the bare figures signify, as over this year my first book was published, I've earned over half my income from writing, and almost 3,000 of you now subscribe to Uncivil Savant and regularly read my work here. I've been overwhelmed with the support and interest you have shown my writing. Thank you, especially to everyone who supports my work by being a paid subscriber. You are personally enabling me to work on my next book, which, if all goes well, will be published in spring 2025. I have always written. When I was at school, as well as dreadful poetry, I wrote a serialised short story lasting three years, as I remember, mainly featuring Duran Duran, a fictionalised version of myself with far cooler hair and no spots, and a plot involving glamorous foreign travel and true love. By my first year at senior school, that's high school for my American listeners, I had become a goth, with very differently awful poetry now filling my notebooks. I formed my first bedroom band with my then boyfriend and began writing what would become 600 song lyrics over the course of the next 33 years and half dozen music bands. A few published and almost published short stories were followed by regular articles in Bassist magazine and other music and tai chi publications. I wish I could show you some pages from over the decades, but I lost all my archives in the fire. Sketchbooks were usually filled with written notes, and notebooks often sprouted drawings, as thinking in shapes always seemed to complement the text. But apart from a couple of essays and one dissertation, my bachelor's and master's degrees in painting added little to my reading, critical or poetic thinking and writing. I found the required postmodern reading list depressing and stifling, but I dutifully worked my way through it. As I have written here before, this led to ten whole years where I neither wrote nor drew a thing. Music saved the day. The collegiate creation of sound together with others also tempered and educated me in a way the top-down institutional schools, colleges and universities of my previous 19 years never could. I list all this here to remind myself that this storied tale began at least 40 year-in-a-days ago, not out of the blue, in 2022. More recently, it was propelled, exactly six years ago to the day, by an email to a friend who'd been pestering me to get writing. I sent an email to him saying there was now a folder on my laptop called Writing, and that I had started typing something sprawling called Uncivil Savant that I didn't know what it was or would become, whether essay or memoir, poetry or fiction, but that I was sure that at some point it would become clear to me. Well, I'm still not sure exactly what this is, but I know where and when it is, and that's enough for the time being. Having a self-imposed Monday morning 7am deadline for a year has given a rhythm and discipline to my writing life, which I am keen to continue. Moving to a fortnightly publishing schedule 
with occasional or even frequent extra interludes and shorter posts, will allow me space to finish Found and Ground 2 by the deadline my editor has given me. I love constraints. They make deeper creativity possible. Even self-created deadlines work. The infinite blank page and endless allotted time are no way for me to get anything done. Now it's time for me to accept that writing is a large and growing part of my life, fed and balanced by the physicality of my craft and teaching work. What lies ahead? I've been abroad for a month and will finally be home at the end of November. I plan to record the final Qigong video for paying subscribers and upload them all, as well as set a date for a winter online session for anyone who'd like to go through the exercises with me so they can better practice them at home. The videos will remain as an archive for those who find them useful. I can only apologise that unforeseen life events derailed my plans for a smooth monthly video post. From December, paying subscribers will get occasional paid-only posts and fuller versions of some public posts, as well as invitations to occasional online gatherings and discussions. Founder members also still get a small artwork from me, as well as my sincere gratitude. If we get to 10 founder members, I think we should have an online meetup and open discussion time. Both paying and founder subscribers can comment on all posts. I have created a 20% off special offer that will last for the next month, as I hope to tempt you into subscribing to Uncivil Savant for all the good things I have planned for the year ahead, including pieces on prayer, initiation, being a villain, and more from the dream worlds. From this week, public posts will move to a fortnightly rhythm, so that I have more time to write in depth about the way the springs and the woods, about pilgrimage, inner and outer, and the path of connection and embodiment that brings us true sense when everything seems atomised. I'll also be creating and sharing more original artworks and photos for the posts to give a richer visual setting for the written word. If you've been reading these posts this year, then I hope you'll continue to enjoy the essays and pieces I have lined up for the coming months. I plan a few conversations and interviews, videos and more. But if you can't afford a paid subscription yet wish to leave comments, then you can still send me your name and email address and I will comp you a year for free. Money should never be a reason to halt a conversation. And now it's time to stop talking about writing here. If you're here with me, thank you. Below is this week's piece. Solidarity dissolves uncertainty. In May 2020, I was in conversation with my dear friend Dougald Hine about our work, both his school called home and my barely describable peripatetic teaching life. Below is a crystallisation of some of what I wrote about what we discussed, which seems relevant today given the daily inhumanities we all witness, both in person and via our glowing screens. I've been thinking so much about security and how people crave respite from uncertainty because they are so atomised. They outsource their uncertainty, and it is suffered by others via the usual mechanisms of capitalism and colonialism we know well. Gated communities, othering and scapegoating of low-status people in all our societies, cheap, low-welfare overseas manufacturing. Wherever I look, the main flows are not only of money or goods, 
but also uncertainty and risk, or rather the experience of suffering the uncertainty, as the uncertainty remains though occulted and accrues, gaining interest, as does capital. They are in fact two sides of the same shell, one convex, one concave. Trouble, like water, rolls off one side, but collects in the other. So I am asking myself the question, or perhaps have been for a long time now, am I willing to experience my own uncertainty, risk, insecurity of situation, and not foist it onto others, nor fortify myself against it with misuse of religion, psychological jargon, money, goods, status or other shiny accretions of certainty? To answer yes to this seems right now to be another way of saying I am a wayfarer, or maybe just a human. Things change, get over it, as they say. Yet there is more. The Taoists of old seemed a solitary lot, or sometimes grouped together in monasteries, but mainly because Buddhism was on the rise and it was the way to survive as a way in China at the time. Some of these schools succumbed to the quest for longevity, huffing and puffing with their secret energy techniques. To me, just another form of resisting uncertainty. The best old writings I find are by those who maintain their practice, humour and wayfaring, whether on a mountain or at home with the family, whether serving at court or drinking wine and playing lute with a friend on a boat. Thinking one has everything sewn up in a theory of everything would be my particular hue on this spectrum of uncertainty avoidance. But menopause has deepened the colour a little and reminded me in no uncertain terms about shit happening as Covid has for others. Perhaps people mistaking the map for the territory is a similar attempt at, or at root is identical with, not dying just yet, thank you very much. It is a great yet not uncommon irony to find Taoists who espouse change, really hating it when it happens to us. In Tai Chi we have a posture, in English called ward off. It is a round shape in the arms, the legs, and indeed the whole body eventually. It is the shape which best seems to absorb, distribute and transfer energy, blows, pushes, weight, etc. In action, leaving the best result, no harm done. However, the Chinese word for this, pang, sometimes pronounced bang, doesn't mean to ward something off at all. This is an English term for what the colonialist British chaps who first described it saw. They saw someone keeping something at bay. <laughs> well, that tells you everything about them and Britain at the time, and nothing about the real qualities of pang, which are lively, soft yet firm, round, elastic, yielding, a meeting place, relaxed, responsive, subtle, and when formed masterfully, almost imperceptible as a shape at all. A non-Tai Chi person watching my grandmaster stand in ward off would have seen an old man just standing there in no particular stance, reminding me of a favourite Taoist classics line, what is looked at and cannot be seen is called the subtle. Of course, it's entirely possible that early Chinese Tai Chi artists meeting Westerners showed them some wooden-looking shapes just to get them to go away thinking they'd stolen secrets. Who could blame them? So, there is an upright, flexible, turning, 
anti-fragile, open, expanded way to be that is helpful in dealing with change, yet not deflecting, denying or seeking to control it. This, in movement, takes many forms. Tai Chi, Bhutto, Parkour, certain improvisational methods, Aikido, indeed many forms of natural movement. It exists in music, theatre, sport, craft, art, gardening, in the realms of words, actions, indeed living a life. There is also a way to have pang and to be yielding. Solidarity. But what is not spoken of so much in the Taoist classics or the Tai Chi classics is the aspect of community and solidarity. There is much in the Tao of interspecies care and reciprocity. There are many great stories of Taoists and creatures, trees, rocks, whole mountains in deep conversation and dialogue. But in popular culture, Tao is obscured by the lone wanderer veneration of Lao Tzu. It almost fits too well with the awful Atlas Shrugged crew in Silicon Valley. Well, only a fraction of Taoist writings have been translated into English, and I am only versed in a fraction of those. Still, the principles are few, yet the permutations are endless. If I seek to assume responsibility for all my own uncertainty and risk, and not farm it off to others, I need to become fully aware of my circumstances, privilege and the mechanisms of the world. I need to discover and practice the inward and outward postures, ways of being in the world and in the heart, that best nurture life, preserve the diversity of its flourishing and see how utterly interconnected everything and everyone is. In contrast to the hyper-individualists and their toxic fortifications of identity and self, I suggest that humans have always known best how to mitigate risk. We know how to provide balm for uncertainty and create the rock pools and side tributaries of relative safety so that we're not always buffeted like salmon swimming to spawn, fighting the current at all costs to do one important task. Community. Solidarity. In families, sure, but wider, starting where we live and where we spend our time, including online. These are the rock pools and side streams where we can catch our breath, feed, shoal, school, rest, sleep. They are not where we can live our whole lives, as life is in the great river and in the sea, and this life, as Helen Keller so rightly said, is an adventure or nothing at all. The rock pool is a great analogy, though, as at some point the tide will cover it again and return all those still living to the wider sea. I am seeing your homeward bound as a rock pool and I am heartily looking forward to meeting the other crabs, minnows, slugs, mussels and fish. I am personally feeling quite nudibrank today. This week's good thing, singing for our supper by W.R. Parsons. While I am away in mainland Europe, I am reading this delightful book by my friend, who also took all but one of the photos this week. William describes setting out on a pilgrimage across the English landscape with his friend via a series of extraordinary encounters they have with people, land, songs and history as they walk and occasionally blunder along. In many ways, this book has made my homesickness worse. Each short section follows a day's walk, and because I know so many of these places, and they are so richly evoked, 
I felt I was back on the chalk of the South Downs or under the great beaches of the New Forest. It's a pilgrimage in many ways, not just physically, but also mentally and spiritually, to the heart of something that has lain dormant in England for too long. I don't want to spoil the journey for you. Treat yourself to a copy via the link if you want to lift your spirits and read what goodness comes of putting one foot in front of the other and singing with all your heart the songs that life brings you.